Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Did you guys know I'm a dad? I don't know if you knew that. I'm a dad now. Um, Kobe's back there. She's amazing. She slept till 4.30 the other day, but it started at 1.30, but still, <laughs> it was amazing for Melissa, because I had the night shift, so, um, we, I'm really grateful to come back and to teach on what I'm learning about our Heavenly Father through fatherhood. I feel like I'm a little bit more rested this week, really, really thankful for that. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, which we taught here at Southside, Jesus teaches his disciples and the crowd a new way to pray. Um, And he explains to the crowd that the Pharisees would pray by heaping up empty words to God. Probably, you know, you can imagine like that caricature like in a movie like, Oh God, please send the rain, like something like that. Or just being kind of um, in in the synagogue, like putting on a show for uh, the people. And Jesus said, don't pray like them, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. He changed a lot in the Sermon on the Mount, even the way that we're supposed to pray. In Jesus, it's now appropriate that we pray to God, our Father, our Father. This signified that in Jesus, the way that we relate to God has changed from the position of power to the relationship of the Father. So in the, in, in the garden, God was with Adam and Eve. And then the fall happened, and, and Greg kind of did a, uh, a series on how, actually it was just in Ephesians, how Satan tempts us and his schemes. And we talked about the fall there. But since the fall... God has come nearer than ever before in Jesus. And so when Jesus came and he teaches us this new way to pray, this new way to pray, he moves God from what felt like distant and powerful, and he is that way, to an accessible and near Father. And so our our prayers are meant to be transformed by the new life that we have with Jesus, reminding us that this relationship with God has moved from impersonal to personal. And so in Christ, I talked about this last week, in Christ, he's the gateway for us to have God as a father. For us to have God as a father. The Old Testament referred to God as a father very rarely, but he was called father about 15 times. So we do know that when Jesus introduced God as a father, it wasn't a new thing about God's character. He has always been the father. Since the beginning of time, God the Father existed in the Trinity, never was created, was always there. So Jesus didn't re-establish this new thing about God. It's that he was always a father. But up to that point, there was this veil that was placed between God and his people, um, especially those who weren't of his chosen people. And so he was distant and powerful to most people. And you see throughout the Psalms that he comes near to to people here and there. But in Jesus, in Jesus, 
On his death, in his death, in his resurrection, the veil was torn and the fatherhood became accessible. The fatherhood that we get with God became accessible. Jesus called God the Father over 100 times in the Gospel of John alone. And we talked about it last week, but I just want to remind you that this word that he used for father was a Hebrew word called Abba. And it was just this idea and this term that there was an intimacy with his dad. It wasn't a rigid fatherhood like um, where you're kind of afraid of your father. It wasn't um, like you had to say father. Because when I hear father, and I, as a joke, I have my dad's name in my phone as father because it's very like structured. Like I've never called him father in my entire life. He's always been dad or pops or Papa Mike, all those things. He's ne- That's kind of what Jesus is saying. It's intimate. He knows God the Father. And Abba really means daddy. It's as though he was just a little baby who just learned how to talk. And all of the good experiences that he's had with his dad has finally come to the surface in words. And all that he's able to, to, to pull out of himself is daddy. And so that is the relationship the relationship that we have with God the Father. It's a change made by Jesus that implies that God's relationship to us is extremely involved. His relationship to us is extremely personal. It's extremely intentional. In Jesus, He has become our Abba Father. And I want to re-mention that it's that point alone that you in Christ are a child of God that sets everything apart. The only way that you're able to really live this life how you're meant to live it, or get up on a stage and preach, which is terrifying, or um, you know, go to a, a group of people that you're supposed to love that you don't know yet, the only way that's possible, the only possible way, is to operate out of the fact that you are in fact first a child of God. First, a child of God. And so we're going to be jumping back into the prodigal son, and that's in Luke 15. Luke 15, 11 through 32. If you um, were here last week and you read ahead again, um, we're not going to go over the entire thing. Uh, I'm going to give you the highlights, and then we're going to dive deep here for just a couple of points on what I'm learning about the Father um, on my journey as a new one. So, the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 11 through 32. What happened was there's a father who has two sons. He has a great inheritance. And his first son demanded his inheritance, ran away. There was a great famine that hit the land, and all of his money was gone. The Bible says, not, not many days later, the son squandered his entire inheritance on reckless living. This is who we know as the prodigal son. And he remembers, he has this memory, and we're going to talk about this later, he remembers that his father is actually kind of a nice guy. And so he's like, I should probably go back there because right now I'm treated worse than pigs. My dad was kind of nice to people who weren't in his family. I should go back. And so he actually goes back, and he's met with love and care, and his father actually runs to him runs to him and reestablishes him as a son. And so this is this great celebration we know as the prodigal son. And we, 
You know, it's used today that, hey, if you have a prodigal in your family, you know, pray for them. There's all these things that we can do, and we celebrate when lost children come home. Well, he had an older brother who worked his whole life in the field, um, and he was in the field when his brother returned, and he heard this party happening because we talked last week. It was probably the greatest party ever thrown by the complex because the fattened calf was killed. He got the robe and the rings. He got all the stuff. And so it's the best party in the history probably of this, of this household. And the older brother hears it happening, and he inquires to a servant, what's, you know, what's going on in there? Why wasn't, you know, what's going on? And he finds out that his brother had returned home. And instead of celebration, it says that he was angry and he wouldn't go inside. And he was bitter and he was just waiting to tell his dad how mad he was at his father. He was pouting. And we learn about the father that he actually goes to the older brother. He leaves the party to go entreat his older son. He didn't rebuke him for his entitlement, but he treated him with the same exact love and care that he treated his lost son. And so it's this picture that wherever you're at on the spectrum, inside the family of God, whether you're, you live recklessly or you think you've done all this good work, but you're actually just embittered because you haven't gotten what you deserve, wherever you stand, the Father loves you and cares about you and is deeply involved and is deeply intentional with you. With the prodigal son, we learn this is exactly what the Father is like to us. If you want to know what the Father's like, Luke 15, 11 through 32 will teach it to you. This is a parable that you can read over and over and over again. Last week and this week is compiled of four points. My initial, like, when I'm just jotting down thoughts, you can see so much in here. 10, 11, 12, 13, 20 different ways that we see how the Father loves us in all of our hurt, in all of our pain, but also in our joy too. And so I would encourage you, put this on a reading plan. Maybe in the next year, I want to just read the parable of the prodigal son to remember that I'm a child of God. To remember what it looks like to have a good father in, in, in God. Last week we learned that the father adores his children and that the father is slow to anger. And... I got to share how I adore my little girl back there. And even though she exploded poop all over my truck, I didn't try to, you know, <laughs> scream at her. Which, she's an infant, so I can't, but all we did was laugh. And so two more points this week on what I'm learning about the Father in my journey of fatherhood. The first one is this, and it's in your notes. It's that the Father calms His children. The Heavenly Father calms His children. So Kobe cries because she's four weeks old at 1.47 in the morning tonight, which is wild how fast it goes. Wild. She cries. She screams. And sometimes, you know, you've done all the things that you thought you're supposed to do, and then you put her in her little swing that goes back and forth, and she's, you know, she's got her swaddle on, and she's got her blanket on, and she has her pacifier and she spits the pacifier out and just starts to scream again. And you're like, why? why? You just got fed. 
You just got changed. You have clothes that doesn't have milk all over it. Just sleep, you know? But this is an amazing part of parenthood. And it's frustrating in the moment, but every time that I've looked back to it, I'm just really honored by it. When Kobe has had everything that she needs, but we put her in her swing and she's unconsolable, all she wants is the presence of her parents. And you pick her up, and she just, ah. <laughs> ah. And then she sleeps. She sleeps because all that she needed, all that she needed was mom or dad. Melissa and I both did skin-to-skin introduction. Um, Immediately when Kobe was born, she was flopped down on Melissa's chest, and she had the alien look and the blue look, and I'm like, what's happening right now? And I was like, what's that stuff on her? Are you supposed to take that stuff off? It's that like white stuff. And they're like, no, it's going to absorb into the skin. And I was like, she's kind of, I don't know about that. I'm, it's kind of weird. I was like, how long? Like, when can I take her? And they're like, she needs to be with the mom for two hours at least. And so she did two hours straight of skin to skin. And I'm just sitting on the, on the couch. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm over here. But what was happening was um, there was this bond that was being built between Melissa and Kobe. And they, they say that the mother's body can regulate temperature. So when the baby's cold, the mom will warm up. And when the baby's too hot, the mom will cool down. It's this ridiculous, crazy thing. And then I was able to go skin to skin with her as well. And one of, one of the things that that promoted is that it helped Kobe immediately recognize my smell and remember my voice when I would stand like this close to Melissa's tummy and go, hey, 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 how you doing? I was, I'm, I'm a goofball. I would never talk like a baby to my, my stomach, my wife's stomach. I would usually be like, hey, so we didn't have a very good game this week. So what do you think about that? I would just do dumb stuff like that. But she knew who I was in this skin to skin. And so um, it's amazing how for four weeks when she's screaming, when she's going wild, when she's, you know, she cannot be consoled. All that she needs is the presence of her parents. All that she needs is the presence of her parents to be held. For an infant, the safest place is in the arms of her mother. And so for Kobe, Melissa and I are safe. Just yesterday, I called Melissa, you know, just because I hadn't seen him in like an hour, and I gave him a call, and I could hear Melissa, uh, Kobe screaming. Melissa wasn't screaming. Kobe was screaming in the background, and Melissa said, Kobe's just saying I love you. So I said, love you too, Cobra. That's what I call her, Queen Cobra. And <laughs> as soon as I said, talked to her, she stopped screaming. Now, I'm positive, I'm positive this was a coincidence, because, I mean, maybe it wasn't, but it feels like a coincidence. But it reminded me of Jesus talking about being the good shepherd. And this is one of the verses that has actually, like, set my life on fire, is, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I was reminded, maybe, maybe it was a coincidence, but the Heavenly Father hears 
Sorry, you hear the Heavenly Father's voice in Christ. He's made it open and accessible. We are safe for Kobe. And in the prodigal son, a major takeaway that I've seen is that the father is safe to his sons. And it means that the father is safe to you too. He calms his children. Ray Ortland coined this this phrase, and we've said it here at our church, but it's that gospel plus safety plus time equals a church where anyone can grow. And that is a life-altering truth about our God. He is a safe father. Do you want to grow as a Christian? You need the presence and the safety of the father. Let's see how the father was safe to his younger son. Verse 12. And the younger son, younger of them, said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. And so the first thing that I see, how the the father was safe to his younger son, is that he graciously allowed his younger son to take the inheritance and leave. Do you notice how he didn't say, There's no, don't do that. You don't know what's out there. I don't know about that. That's a lot of money. I'm not sure if I trust you with that. He graciously allowed his younger son to take the inheritance. His his father was just like, okay, here you go. And I think that was just a taste of the character of the father and this relationship that the younger son had with him because later on, and we're going to read this in the next point, Later on, the younger son is left destitute with nothing, and he remembers, he remembers that his father treated even his servants really, really well. It says that the son came to his senses and remembered The servants in my dad's complex get to at least eat. He was compelled to come back. Because what I imagine is that he had safe memories of his dad. He was compelled. It says the reason he came back is because he remembered that the servants were treated well. And so his father was safe to him. The servants in the complex are taken care of. I'm inflicting this on myself. And he, you know, he he goes and has this conversation with his his self. I'm sure my dad would at least let me work for him. And so he's operating out of this idea. I remember my dad is really safe. And what's amazing is that he was completely right about the safety of his father. His father would accept him back if he came, but he was wrong about the way that his father would accept him back. Because he wasn't going to accept him back as a servant, he accepted him back as his son. The father was compelled to celebrate his son's return. And I think one thing that it shows is that the father was safe because he didn't have to prove anything to his kids. He wasn't ruminating on ways to get back at his son. He wasn't like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show him. 
And in the very beginning, he wasn't trying to control his son to be exactly how he wanted him to be. Like, stay in the complex with me, please. He didn't even do that. He had open hands with his child. And all he ever wanted was a relationship with him, not even on his own terms. He didn't put expectations on his child to come back and repay the inheritance that he blew. He didn't say, well, I'll accept you back, but you owe me a million dollars and you can work it off in the fields and you can live here. Nope. I said this last week, but the father couldn't have cared any less about the fortune. All that he cared about was his son. He was safe. And I pray that when Kobe, if she does anything like this, that I I am just like that. I'm not going to be able to do it without the help of the father, knowing that I'm a son that is accepted when I live recklessly. He's safe to the younger son, and he's also safe to his older son. Last week I talked about how his older son felt like he could share honestly. He says to his father, come on, man. Like, I served you, I never disobeyed you, and you never celebrated me. He pouted, and his father came to him and entreated him. The word says entreated him, which means to earnestly be curious about what's happening in his heart. And so he was very curious about his older son. What's actually going on? And his son's like, you know what? I'm going to tell you. You never threw a party for me. What was happening is that the older brother was spiraling a little bit. He catastrophized the situation. He went to the very worst case scenario, the lie. He went to the lie about what was happening. He started to think, my dad doesn't really love me. My dad has abandoned me in the fields. He must love my younger brother more than he loves me. He was spiraling. And he needed something powerful to get him out of the spiral. And the way out was to be reminded by the Father the truth about the matter. It's that the Father answers him calmly with love. And he responds to his spiral with truth. The first thing that he says is, Son. Verse 31, Son. Reminding him of his status. The second thing that he says in verse 31 is, You are always with me. Reminding him that his father has not abandoned him. And the third thing that he says is all that is mine is yours. Reminding his older son that he loves his two sons exactly the same. Essentially what he was saying was, this party has nothing to do with the love that I have for you. And I feel it. It's extremely easy to be like the older brother. I remember my younger sister was in middle school. I was in high school. She had a Blackberry touch. Do you guys know what that is? When I was in high school, a touchscreen Blackberry. I didn't have a phone. Now, I was supposed to get grades for the phone. I think I did, but still didn't matter. She's two years younger than me. I'm a freshman. She's seventh grade. She has a Blackberry touch. And I remember I was so mad, so mad. And my dad said, are you jealous? And I said, yes, I surely am. 
I am. And I remember he's like, well, you got new basketball shoes. Like, and he reminded me, like, yeah, she has this, but here are all the ways that I've provided for you too. It's extremely easy to be like the older brother and to spiral when a situation does not go your way. It's extremely easy to assume the worst. Extremely easy. What do we do when that happens? We need to move from the lie to the truth. And the ultimate truth about our relationship with God. Because in a world that's unsafe, in, in, in a world that's full of anxiety, in a world that pressures you to be perfect, we need reminded that we're children of God. And he's the calm in our storms. Both sons were drawn towards their father because of his safety. And all that we know is that both sons were calmed because of the presence and the reaction of the father. And we know that the father and the prodigal son is exactly how our heavenly father is to us. Psalm 16:11, you make known the path to my, of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. The presence of the father brings the fullness of joy. Psalm 36:7, how precious is your steadfast love. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. It's the shadow of your wings where you take refuge. In the, in the wings of the Father. And so our application for this as a safe, calm Father, it's that you are allowed to cry out to Him. Just as a baby cries for their parents, you can cry with the same intensity. Now, you don't have to squawk. You know, like, it's, there's not some... Like magic potion, if you cry to God just like a baby cries, it's that a baby is not shy about how they're feeling. And so whatever way and however you're feeling, you don't have to be shy with the Father either. You don't have to say you're fine. He's safe in all of your troubles. Whether you squandered all that He's given you or you're in emotional turmoil, He's safe. And so, for parents, this is my prayer for myself, that I would be a safe space for my kids too. That if my kid runs away, I don't have any expectations for them. And for my kid who's embittered, they feel comfortable to tell me why. Number two, and this is, we're going to finish up here, is that the father also provides for his children. And I want to talk about Melissa for just a second. Not really what I've learned as a dad, but really what I've learned as her as a mother. Kobe, quite literally, is sustained by Melissa's body. For nine months, Kobe would not have been able to make it without Melissa. And now for this tenth month, she needs fed for the very couple first weeks, every three hours, on the three hours. But then she started to get really hungry. So now she likes to eat every hour and a half to two hours. So what's that, 12 times a day? And she gets her food from Melissa. Melissa is quite literally sustaining Kobe's life. And for me, 
And for her, Kobe can't change herself. So if it's, it's not, it's not the, a feeding thing. You can feed your kid in other ways. But she can't change her, herself. And we could get really extreme with this, but if Kobe isn't changed, disease, all the things that come with that, she can't walk herself to bed. She can't hold her head up. Well, she can kind of now, but she couldn't. She can't drive to her appointments, even though I tried to see if she could. She's completely dependent. And this is the same with our relationship with the Father. Our lives are in disarray without Him. And we need Him to provide for, for all of our needs. Physical and emotional and spiritual. <clears throat> the younger son's immediate need is that he was hungry. He, he didn't have anything to eat. And they wouldn't even let him eat with the pigs. He longed to be fed. Verse 16 says, He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But he remembered that the Father was safe, and that He provided for the needs of all people in His complex. And so He came home, and the Father didn't just give Him food. That was His need. He gave Him the best robe and he gave him the ring, and he gave him the fattened calf, and he gave him the best wine, and he threw a party. The younger son longed to be fed, and the father provided abundantly more for him. And the older son needed something else. He needed solace. He needed comfort. The oldest son is the one who needed wrapped in the arms of the father like a baby. In verse 31, this is how the father intervened for the son's spiral. He says, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. The older brother was in need of the balm of truth and presence that comes from the father. He needed swaddled again. He needed protected again. He needed reminded. You might be 50 or whatever, you know. But it's important. You might, what, however old you are, you could be 90 years old. My grandpa is 100 years old. And he is a child of God first. Not a great grandpa. The older brother was in need of solace and comfort. And some of us are too. The father's safe and he provides for all those needs. Back to the Sermon on the Mount for just a second. In Matthew 6, 25-34, Jesus talks about how God the Father provides for His kids. And He says in verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the answer to that question is much more valuable. And so your Heavenly Father provides for you in an abundance of ways. Here are some practical ways to experience the Father's provision. Number one, 
Take all of your internal needs to God through prayer, solitude, and Sabbath. You have an emotional, spiritual need? I feel it, Kobe. (laughs) Go to the Father. In His presence is the fullness of joy. Go to the Father with all your internal needs, in your prayer, in your quiet, and in your Sabbath. Go to Him. That's one very practical way to experience the Father's provision. Another practical way to experience the way the the Father provides is to commit to the local church. Because the way that the local church is supposed to work is that we take care of each other. We're supposed to take care of each other. And there are people in our church right now who have had their needs taken care of, me included. And there are people in the church who you'll never probably know, they don't want the praise, who have been providing for other people's needs. One thing that happens when you commit to the church is that you're not committing. And this is, I mean, some places you are, but this is our hope. When you commit to the church, you're not committing to the building. I mean, we're committing to making it look good, but we're not committed to the building. We're not committed to necessarily even the system. What we're committing to when we're saying we are about this church is we're committing to the people. We're committing to the people. Because the primary way a primary way that the Father provides for your needs is by providing you other people. It's what He always has done. And so you can experience the Father's provision by committing to each other. So that's what I've learned about the Father so far. He adores His children. He's slow to anger. He calms His children. And He provides for His children. If you don't know this Father... Today is the day to take Jesus and to receive the Father as the benefit of the Son. And just like last week, if you want to talk about that, I'll be around. Please find me. Chad's going to come up, and we are going to take communion together. I'll pray. Lord Jesus, as we go into communion right now, help us to remember that your death on a cross and your resurrection is uh, the jolt to our life. It's the reason that we can gather. It's the reason that we can love each other. It's that um, you love us, you care about us, and you've provided a way in your sacrifice. Help us to remember this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.